Thank you so much. Good afternoon. I'm going to mute my own speakers. Thank you. And we're going to call to order the Committee of the Whole for Planning and Public Works, February 6th, 2024. All council members are in attendance for this meeting. We have nine items on the agenda, and we are going to start with item number two and circle back to item number one when the appropriate folks have arrived. So item number two on our agenda is ordinance amending Redmond Municipal Code chapters and titles 15.08, the building code 15.23, electrical code 15.18 energy code 15.26 wildland urban interface um, and here to introduce the item we have deputy director uh, jason lynch with us thank you so much thank you very much um, just wanted to kind of uh, do a little run back um, we recently um, are coming back to you again we previously had come to you on 523 and then on 66 of 23 state building code council was delayed two separate times for uh, going back and forth with the energy code that was being adopted. They have come to resolution. They are proposing for a code update implementation of uh, March 15th of 2024, which is kind of an out of cycle related to the codes. Generally, the codes adopt every three years. We're going to be moving forward with that code adoption uh, here shortly. Secondly, the electrical code is also following that code adoption, which will be adopting April 1st of 2024. That's in compliance with RCW 19.27.0 which is the State Building Code Council. Upon that adoption, we would be amending this ordinance to move forward and adopt those current codes. That would be our building code. Also wanted to mention that we did add uh, Appendix T, which is the uh, sustainable committee of the whole meeting that discussed about the solar ready provisions. Those were being updated into this code cycle as well. Uh, we will be coming to you. Um, we will be coming to you on February 20th, 2024, and we're requesting that to be on consent. Great. Thank you so much, Jason. Thank you. Uh, are there questions from the council? Council President Kritzer. Well, I was in support of this the last time that we saw it, so it was ready for us to adopt it. Uh, and I'm excited about some of these code changes. I'm curious, was there, because I know there was still some uh, discussion, uh, part of the reason why it got delayed, and just curious if anything changed um, in terms of the state building codes. So you're, you're referring to the date of the energy code adoption or the, uh, the date has changed to the 15th of March, which will be that adoption? No, the, the actual code change. Oh, the actual code. Any... So they have resolved those issues and they've published those documentations. We've not actually seen any additional code changes beyond what the state has approved. They will submit those in their entirety. They will have a, a first printing edition and then a second printing edition that will come out. But they have had a mutual consensus of approving as the code was written. So they've not amended that section. Great, and my understanding is that some other cities have gone ahead and, and adopted um, similar code changes, but within their, their own city, for example, City of Seattle uh, recently adopted um, some uh, standards for their building emissions. Um, and I'm curious if you could just share with us briefly um, the different, if there's a large difference between what, for example, was adopted in Seattle versus what's gonna now be at the state standard. So Seattle is very unique. They, uh, DCLU Seattle actually adopts their own code. They don't take the adopted building code. They actually write their own code. So it is completely different from what is adopted, um, what you would see like in Kirkland, Sammamish, Issaquah. So we're adopting the state building code show, to show consistency within the East Side Consortium. Seattle writes the code very uniquely to some of the nonconformities that they have with the proximity of high-rise structures. So okay. their code is unique to Seattle. 
Thank you. I, w I would be interested in the future to be able to, to see a little bit of some of the potential differences between those codes and, and what we're adopting, um, just to know in terms of the impacts, especially on uh, carbon reduction and, and emissions. We'd be happy to provide that. Great. Thank you. And I'm supportive of adding this to the consent agenda. Other questions from the council? Okay, I'll go ahead and hop in with a couple. Um, Mr. Lynch, I think what um, Councilmember Kritzer was was maybe uh, angling questions toward is, could you remind us of the headlines of the Energy Building Code? Because we have a, a community that's really interested in this uh, topic and often will come to us asking for these things and we're obviously um, gonna be in alignment with, with what they're doing. So in this package that's being adopted, what are like the one or two major changes that we're welcoming uh, into the code? So if we may, I'll have Travis Sally, who did a lot of this research for us, step up and kind of answer that question for us if we might. Welcome, come on up. There we go. Um, so a few of the changes that were and were being discussed and, and why it was delayed, one of them uh, was related to a uh, ban on natural gases. So that's actually um, not moving forward. And so what's happening is right now there is um, a push to stay with um, all electric. And so that's the path that they, they went with. So there was the, if you remember the uh, it was city of Berkeley that was going against it with restaurants. And so the state has moved forward. We um, are sticking with um, electric, electric. There are some wording changes that are happening, quite honestly. It's, it's not changing the code. There's some restructuring, and it has not been released at this time. So there's the commercial energy code, residential energy code. What we were doing here is just trying to get a little bit ahead so, with you. So by the time uh, the state finally releases that final document, that first printing, then we w should be able to provide um, those exact final clerical administrative rewordings that they've done. Great, I appreciate that, Mr. Sally. Thanks so much. So, um, Council, do we have any objections to seeing uh, that, that final content coming to us for consent on the 20th? Seeing none, I'll, I think we'll see this one go through. Thanks so much. Thank you. Appreciate you guys being here. We're gonna move on to item number three on the agenda, which um, is also with uh, planning and community development. We're gonna talk about the adoption of a resolution improving the allocation of $955,200 to a regional coalition for housing, otherwise known as ARCH, for the development of affordable housing. And with us we have Deputy Director Sarah Fee Allen and Ian Lefcourt. Thanks for being here. Good afternoon, uh, Mayor and Council Member, or just Council Members. Uh, the next item is adoption of the resolution approving the allocation of $955,200 to a regional coalition for housing, also known as ARCH, for the development of affordable housing. This item supports the important affordable housing efforts of the city and our East King County um, community. To provide further details, I will turn the mic over to Ian Lefcourt. Thank you, Sarah Fee. Hello, my name is Ian Lefcourt. I use he, him pronouns. I'm the senior planner in long range planning. And this is the annual housing trust fund process. This is where all the member jurisdictions go through a process, including a community advisory board of receiving funding requests for projects, reviewing them, 
The CAB then provides that upstream to the Arch Executive Board, of which uh, Director Helen is, uh, of course, appointed. And then the allocations are prioritized. And that's the end result of the budget impacts before you today. Uh, the request to Redmond is that 955000 uh, It's also important to note that in the packet, it shows that Redmond is just going above and beyond with individual contributions for an additional $2.1 million. That is distinct from the Housing Trust Fund. That is monies we've already set aside for affordable housing outcomes. Uh, the money total will fund two projects fully and three projects partially. The funds will then uh, support about 840 affordable units. Uh, and notably for this round of the HTF, two of the projects are actually within Redmond City limits. As a reminder, ARCH is a collaboration, so it's, we kind of take turns where the projects go. Pooling the money yields uh, outcomes better than the sum of the parts. The ASTA committee is to place this item on the February 20th consent. Any questions? Great. Thank you so much, Mr. Lefcourt. Are there questions from the council? Councilmember Kritzer. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much for, for the information. I appreciate uh, the memo from Arch as well uh, with all the, the detailed information and great to see a lot of funding for Redmond projects in this. Um, one comment is that the Bellwether project seems like a really big deal. Um, and just a comment for later is that it would be great for us to get a deeper briefing on that project, a $167 million project going on in our city with both commercial and uh, housing options just seems like a, a pretty big deal. So were you going to say something? Well, that was just so well-timed because I had written a note to say uh, that Bellwether would like, uh, wanted me to pass along that this Thursday at 6.30 at the Aloft Hotel um, across from the site where it will be, they're going to be doing an open house. Uh, and the open house will focus on explaining the general development program and its income restrictions. Uh, and will also include... Uh, conversations about um, the community partners that they're involving as well. Um, in addition to this open house, I think they would be more than happy to come and talk to the council about the project or meet with you individually. Great, and I can follow up on that. Um, so two quick questions. One is for the Emma McRedmond project. Will residents be displaced during renovations or is there already a plan for where residents, because it seems like a big renovation. The initial understanding I have is that it will be phased, so it should uh, have a minimal impact, but my understanding of that is from a year and a half ago, so I'll need to follow up and get the latest details for you. Great, yeah, it would just be great to make sure to message res residents on that. And then um, I am interested to see how we're, we're doing a match of our own funding. I haven't seen that in the past on these types of ARCH proposals from other cities and, and don't see other cities that kind of are bringing that to the table. So just curious if you can speak to that a little bit. Um, uh, great, great that we're putting in our own funding and that it's getting noticed on here, but I, I don't see that on the other cities' projects. So just curious about that, if it was a way to incentivize getting ours to the top. I was going to say, I think Redmond is very dedicated to affordable housing, and we encourage our other cities to do the same. Great. Thank you. Other questions or comments from the council? Councilmember Salahuddin. 
Um, yeah, thank you so much for, um, for sharing this. Uh, I just had a quick question um, on the proposed funding sources and uh, it might be, um, you know, because I'm new and this might have already been discussed in the past, but uh, just looking at, you know, how much each city is contributing, um, particularly, um, you know, for 2023 funding, uh, is there sort of a method or a, a, an algorithm that you use to make each city, um, you know, run its course on when, um, when Redmond is paying potentially 955,000 and getting two projects this year and then next year it would be a little bit different. Do you have sort of a breakdown of that? Uh, that's a great question. So the high level is, it is roughly based on population. There are some quirks to it. Um, for example, if jurisdictions are below a certain threshold of population, then they kind of have a flat rate. Um, and certain jurisdictions, typically the big three, pay uh, can pay a little bit more. But overall, it is broadly population-based. Now, in terms of where the projects go, that really is at the opportunities presented from the applicants, right? We are not actually constructing the housing. We're just funding the applicants who come to us. Thank you. Okay, um, I'll jump in with a couple of my comments. I think um, much like Deputy Director uh, Allen mentioned, I was really inspired um, by Re the way that Redmond is showing up here. This is one of my favorite meetings every year that we get to do. This is a, just a really nice one. Um, but I do wanna call out specifically for the city of Redmond, one of the tools that we are utilizing here is that $10 million set aside that um, we had in our budget this past year and we chose to make that. And I hope that is an inspiration to other cities to make things like this um, come to light. I do have a request um, coming up, it would be great. We had a $10 million allocation in our budget for affordable housing, um, given that these ones are gonna be slated for consent on the 20th, then how's the balance of those funding, of that funding looking? Of course, um, that's a fund that I would wanna make sure we're spending every penny on. <laughs> um, so would appreciate a look from that uh, in the future from the staff. Can do. Perfect. Um, any objections to this item going to consent on the 20th of February? Okay, thanks team, appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. We are gonna transition now to our public works items. So item number four on our agenda is approval of the Redmond Technology Station Operations and Maintenance Agreement. Here with us to introduce the item, we have Director Burt. Welcome. Good afternoon. It's great to be here, thank you. Uh, first thing on the agenda, as we have quite a few today for public works, is the approval of the operating agreement for the Redmond Technology Station. Uh, essentially what this operating agreement does for us, it defines the roles and responsibilities between the city of Redmond and Sound Transit moving forward. Elements covered under the uh, agreement deal with the direct access ramp to the technology station and also the uh, pedestrian bridge and components of the Northeast 40th stream, uh, Street stormwater uh, quality facility. Essentially, uh, the city will be operating and maintaining the structure, uh, the bridge unto itself and the foundations of both the bridge and the direct access ramp. And one of the main things that's called out in that is that uh, we will be doing inspections of the bridge every 24 months 
on a regular cycle. Um, Sound Transit is not responsible for maintaining any portion of the pedestrian bridge or the direct access ramp that falls on us. And just to note, uh, the pedestrian bridge will be open 24 hours, seven days a week uh, for the public's use, but access to the Redmond Technology Station uh, through the direct access ramp is generally going to be closed from 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. each day. So it's important to note that. This agreement, uh, essentially, if we pass it uh, on consent, it will take effect once Microsoft has finished their portion of the RTS bridge and uh, deeds the bridge over to the city. So that will be uh, sometime later this spring as well. And then our operating costs uh, in terms of inspections and support to any maintenance issues have already been built into the public works baseline budget in our maintenance operation center. So pending your questions, we're looking for this to go to consent on the 20th. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Are there questions from the council? Okay. Any objections to seeing this one go to consent on February 20th? Awesome. Thank you, Director Burton. Thanks for including the very colorful uh, map. It was awesome to have in this packet. You bet. Yeah. Item number five, uh, we're going to stick with Public Works for a while. Item number five is the approval of the final contract with Harbor Pacific Contractors in the amount of $9,100,463 and accept construction for the Wastewater Pump Station 13 replacement project. So again, this is uh, the next couple of items. They kind of do two things because we're, we're talking about the contract and acceptance of the project. Director Burt. Absolutely. Uh, so this, is, this was an extremely complicated project that... Uh, the diligent staff within the capital division uh, were able to work through the technical aspects of this project and deliver this project under budget, which is great. Uh, the, what the pump station does is it provides the capacity in dealing with the future growth um, in the uh, Marymore uh, sub-area neighborhood. Essentially what it does, it improves the safety, reliability, and capacity of our uh, wastewater system to pump waste out of that rapidly growing area. It replaced a aging wastewater pump station there, and uh, you know this is a investment that will last a, a generation or more for the city moving forward. Do want to call out that the original total project cost on this was about $13.7 million. The full cost that we've realized with staff and uh, construction ended up being only about $11.9 million. So we'll be returning about $1.7 million to the wastewater CIP. And then the uh, actual construction contract unto itself, we had a savings of about $387,000, which was great, even with the technical difficulties that we face. So asking for the uh, acceptance of this project and move it to consent on the 20th. Wonderful. Are there questions from the council? Uh, council member Nueva Camina and then council member Salahuddin. Thank you, Director Burke. Um, question around, because so many times we're hearing about things going over budget, especially when uh, around dealing with building materials. How were we able to come under budget? So this, uh, council member, this project was originally, it, it's part of a larger programmatic replacement project that we have going where we're replacing many of our pump stations uh, uh, throughout the community. 
This was an opportunity that based on standardization of the pumps that we're putting in, we were able to forecast the costs out and secure some of those materials early. Uh, when it went to construction, it was before COVID. So many of these uh, construction contracts and to the subcontractors were already locked in. So it didn't impact us. But we did have issues at this site dealing with the high water table, subcontractors really not knowing how to handle that. So there's been some technical issues, but we still came under budget on this one. Thank you. Yep. Councilmember Salahuddin. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, not a question, just a brief comment. Uh, thank you so much for uh, getting this done under budget. Uh, it's the neighborhood I live in, and I really appreciate you know the uh, level to looking in the future um, for especially the entire Marymore Village, so thank you. Well, your toilets will flush, Perfect. Uh, which is good. <laughs> and um, Mike Haley uh, from our capital division uh, was instrumental in, in, in working this through. So the, uh, the thanks goes to him and the capital team for uh, being diligent on this one. Yep. Thank you. Councilmember Forsyth and then Councilmember Fields. Thank you. Um, so I love when these projects get done. And I know that we have several of these and I have lost track of how many are left to complete. Do, can you update us real quickly on how many are left to update? Six. Six. Okay, and that was out of nine, if I recall? Or 12? Nine is correct. Nine, okay. Go with the first one, thank you. I had to phone a friend on that one. So. <laughs> thank you so much. Council Member Fields. Yeah, I wish I had a friend to call when I need them, but I'm glad that you do. Hey, I remember when we talked about this and when um, we talked about leveraging uh, these projects and I expressed my appreciation to you at the time. And now I have a further request. Um, I asked our director of finance when we're putting together the um, committee of the whole finance plan uh, to look into uh, and provide uh, uh, some insight for council on our procurement process or procurement process improvements. What I request or what I would like to see happen is that you work with the director of finance and do sort of a debrief lessons learned and take those things that we've learned um, on these successful projects and try and extrapolate or disseminate that education uh, to other parts of our capital and overall our entire procurement process. So is that something that you think you and Kelly could work on? Absolutely, council member. Uh, and part of the success of this program is that council had made the decision to lump the replacement of these projects into a programmatic focus. Uh, so that gives us some leverage going into it that we're able to forecast and set a standard for equipment and design standards on these projects as we move forward. So when we're able to do things programmatically, uh, it does give us that opportunity to uh, leverage early procurement uh, to be able to take advantage of cost savings. But uh, Director Cochran and I will definitely talk about that and be happy to bring something back on lessons learned to the council. Perfect, thank you. Thank you, Councilmember Anderson. Oh, I thought I saw your hand. That's okay. Uh, Councilmember Nueva Camina. Thank you. Director Burke, I've got a, a question that I'm not even sure is appropriate, but I know that this would be the appropriate time to ask. Sure. Um, because this, 
this was projected before COVID, um, and in the last few years, we've been seeing, of course, a shift in our weather patterns and getting a little bit colder. It does additional cold weather snaps or prolonged cold weather snaps impact this at all, and would it change anything that's already been put out there, projected? No, uh, these facilities are designed to certain thresholds to mitigate for cold. Pipes are insulated, the facilities are heated. So cold weather snaps are not designed to uh, freeze the effluent that uh, comes into these pump stations. So we're, we're, we're well positioned to deal with the cold. Thank you. You bet. Wonderful, are there any objections to this item going to consent on February 20th? Great, we'll have this one on for February 20th. Item uh, number six in our agenda is approval of the final contract with NPM Construction in the amount of 314522 and accept the construction for the three rapid rectangular flashing beacon crosswalk projects. Um, Director Burt. Yes, uh, another aspect of cost savings this time it was uh, $21,000, but um, I'll take the money where I can find it. This is our continued effort to create uh, safe uh, crosswalks for pedestrians in and around the greater Redmond area. Uh, these are those rapid flashing beacons. You hit the button, lights flash up on both sides, gives that visibility uh, for pedestrians crossing streets. This was uh, three projects that we put in, one at Northeast 116th and 159th. Bear Creek Parkway and 159th Place Northeast. And the final one was at 180th Northeast and Northeast 70th Street. Our intent here uh, this year and into the next biennium is to continue, basically, we, we find cost savings when we can bundle these um, because these can't be individual projects. Uh, contractors just won't take it. So we'd be looking to bundle three to four projects at a time moving forward. Wonderful, that was my question actually, um, so I appreciate you addressing that. You Are there other questions from the council? Okay, Council President Kritzer. I'll just say, I know, I think we've had discussions on this quite a few times during budget processes. We've been a little surprised on the price tag to put in a crosswalk, but I know it has a lot of infrastructure there. And I do know that I hear from community whenever one of these goes in about how excited they are to have more visibility and to feel safer crossing our crosswalks. So just want to say thanks to the staff that worked on this. And I think these are our great investments towards our Vision Zero goals. Totally agree with that, and, and you are correct. There's that aspect where where we place these, right? You got to have a power source, you got to dig, you got to purchase the equipment, and then it takes time to install on aspects of design. But uh, it's well worth the payoff. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, any objections to this item going to consent? Okay, we're going to accept a lot of great projects on February 20th. Thank you. Um, the next one of this nature is item number seven to approve final contract with the wastewater construction company and accept construction in the amount of $1,286,240 for the Redmond Way Islamic East Lake Sammamish Parkway, 180th Avenue Northeast intersection improvements. We really need a new like moniker for this. This is just the intersection that we talk about yes. a lot. But um, anyway, Director Burt. Yes, once again, asking for acceptance of this and another good news story. Uh, total budget for this was about 2.1 million and total costs that we were able to bring in on this uh, was at 1.9 for about a savings of $141,000. 
This project was designed uh, for safety and capacity enhancements at the intersection, um, as well as uh, helping to mitigate additional traffic generated with the growth in downtown and Marymore. Uh, the intersection improvements include new vehicle capacity, uh, signal uh, timing, revised pedestrian crossings, and new bike lanes through the area. It's, uh, it's not perfect, but it's definitely an improvement of uh, what we had uh, previously. So looking for acceptance and to take this to consent on the 20th. And I'm looking for her, and there she is. Council Vice President Forsyth, why don't you kick us off? Thank you. Um, yes. I, I love that you just opened me up to for my comment and the comment that I've been hearing from community members of the it's not perfect. I've heard a lot of people complaining to me and concerned about the slip lane on East Lake Sammamish and how cars are driving into that bike lane and using that as that extra width so they can actually take that turn faster. So I'm, I'm looking to you for maybe some suggestions, maybe some of that savings. We can put some flex posts up to get people to calm traffic and slow down a bit. Um, but overall, huge improvement, happy to accept it, but just looking for some more improvements for that bike lane there and some, some safety and slowing the traffic down. Absolutely. Uh, I'll have our um, traffic operations and safety engineering staff take a look at that and we can come back with uh, some options for the council. That would be great. And yeah, all you have to do is just pop out there at like five o'clock and you'll you'll see it happening. <laughs> <laughs> Roger. Uh, thank you. Other questions from the council? Okay. Um, any objections to this item going to consent on the 20th? All right, we'll go ahead and bundle this in then. Thanks, Director Bird. Um, switching gears, but sticking with public works, we have item number eight, which is the adoption of an ordinance establishing apprenticeship requirements for city-funded public works contracts of $1 million or more. Great, thank you. Uh, this ordinance adds a new chapter to the Redmond Municipal Code, which will require the use of apprentice labor as a percentage of overall uh, public works contracts that we have, which exceed $1 million. Um, the provisions within the ordinance uh, align with initiatives from the state of Washington, which is seeking to expand the use of apprentice labor and provide a mechanism for encouraging such labor um, on local projects, uh, public works projects. And it also provides an aspect for reporting mechanism within the code. Um, I do want to point out, uh, it states $1 million. The uh, provisions on this is the let construction contract. So we may have a project that is $1.5 million, half a million dollars is overhead cost design and so forth. The million dollar threshold is actually on the contract that goes out to bid uh, that we'd be looking at that. The uh, Ordinance also calls for, it provides for the, the provisions for the validation of use of apprentice labor, which puts the threshold at 15% of total hours given to a project should be apprentice labor. Um, and then it also provides for the mechanism in which uh, contractors would report to the city and also through labor and industries. There is a provision within the, um, the ordinance as well that provides for a waiver if apprentice labor is not available. There are certain um, industries and subcontractors out there that just don't have or access, don't have 
or access to apprentice labor here in the, the Puget Sound region. So we do need to be able to provide a, a waiver for that. Um, and one of the things in, as we were discussing this, and I've talked to some fellow um, cities about this, is that contractors are still going through a process of implementation challenges as they began to uh, adopt, uh, or I should say adapt, uh, to this provision. Um, there's a lot of trades out there. The trades are hurting. This is designed to encourage uh, apprentice labor, but we also recognize that every trade that we may need on a project may not have that 15% threshold. So we need to provide a provision in which uh, we can provide a waiver on that. But we're super excited about this. Um, you know, we have quite a few projects that will let at over a million dollars. So we are expecting to see use of this uh, ordinance moving forward. Thank you, Director Bird. Um, questions from the council? I actually see Council Vice President Forsyth. Thank you. I am so excited to see this um, brought up. This is one of my major um, policy ideas that I wanted to bring forward, and I'm really excited to see this here. I know, Director Burt, I believe you and I had talked about the um, possibility of this being lowered to a, a half a million dollar contract. I'm interested if you could just talk about why we stuck with the million dollars. I know there's reasons around both, but um, I know the, the workforce uh, labor shortage and making sure that we're training people up is something that we're really passionate about in this city. Um, and I'm also interested if you could talk about, are there any fees associated with the waiver or anything um, associated with that waiver as far as making sure that people don't abuse that part of it? Uh, originally, the state provision um, for this uh, use of apprentice labor was $2 million. And we actually, there was going to be a sliding scale on the implementation. I think bringing it down to a million dollar requirement, uh, I want to say in 25 or 26. So we're actually ahead of the game in terms of the, the state requirement uh, at stating for a million dollars. And uh, Council Member, I maybe having a senior moment, I turned 51. I don't remember that conversation uh, with you, but I'm, I'm happy to uh, explore that a, a bit further as this moves forward. What I would ask right now is that we give this an opportunity to mature and see what kind of responses that we're getting on these contracts moving forward. And if it does look like that the apprentice labor is available and we're meeting these thresholds, then it's definitely something I believe we can bring back to council for an amendment uh, to drop that threshold in the future. Okay, I'm not I'm not certain. Uh, maybe I had that conversation with the mayor about that um, half a million dollar threshold. Um, I'm interested to hear the rest of the conversation before I comment further. Thanks. Thank you, Councilmember Fields. Thank you. Uh, this looks like one of those um, com com enough of a complexity, uh, and perhaps uh, some people would have anticipated um, when the government does these kinds of things with our private sector. Uh, the, the fear of unintended consequences or things that we uh, hoped, we look for the positive things, but then uh, there are those that say, yeah, that's great, but this is gonna happen as well. Um, do you 
in your uh, discussions and in your involvement with the state and jurisdictions and others uh, in the industry, did you come across uh, any of those things that we should be made aware of? The feedback that uh, I've been able to gather working through the Association of Washington Cities and other jurisdictions and even the uh, construction industry is people want this because they understand that there is a labor shortage and any any way that we can encourage the use of apprentice labor, um, they're supportive of it. The labor rates for apprentice are set by the state for prevailing wage within a given area. Um, this is a benefit actually for contractors that they're able to um, use um, some aspects of a reduced labor rate as part of the project, which in a way sometimes also allows for other aspects of profit. Um, but they know the, the construction industry and what we've heard is that they realize that they will be facing a labor crunch in any way that uh, artificially we can encourage the use of this labor uh, ends up being a long-term benefit to them because they're getting people in the door, in the trades, trained and uh, it just has second and third order effects in a positive manner so we're hearing nothing but support on this okay yeah and that's uh i had hoped that that would be the answer i just wanted to be uh, certain or, uh, of anything that you are aware of that we are aware of it is sort of ironic that we're going back to something that has existed for you know hundreds of thousands of years actually and and trying to embellish it and encourage it, but the whole concept of of apprentices has been around for many, many, many millennia. But thank you. And previously they were free, so uh, at least this gives a wage, <laughs> so that's good. Council President Kritzer. Yeah, I would say, you know, the way that I see it also is that we as a city, we do projects um, where there's a lot of opportunity for us to be able to create these um, spaces for, for people to get experience and be able to get into the industry who are, are doing training and, and need to be able to access some of these apprenticeships. So it's kind of using our purchasing power and, and the fact that we're this big entity, the same way that um, we kind of look at, for example, contracting with women or minority-owned businesses um, in our contracting as well to say, you know, if we're, we're doing these millions of dollar projects, um, let's let's use that towards some good. So put in some of these provisions. Um, so I'm very supportive of this. Um, Want to give credit also, I think, um, I know we were also very inspired by City of Bellevue that passed a very similar ordinance and, and kudos to former Councilmember Jeremy Barksdale, who I know led on that effort in Bellevue. Um, and uh, I, I know that some of, I believe that some of our ordinances modeled off of what they had also passed. Is that correct? It is. Uh, and also uh, other cities like Kent and Burien uh, have adopted this. So you know, we're on the forefront of it uh, within the Puget Sound region. but. Yeah, part of that was used as the model for this. Great, thank you. Um, and yeah, I would just note, I think um, I've heard a lot of support from the community, especially from uh, labor unions uh, in, in support of this, um, because they do wanna see more opportunities for, for people to be able to get into um, good middle-wage jobs. Um, 
Uh, one, I would say it would be great if we could reach out to those involved in labor before we finalize this. I, I had flagged it for a few folks, and I think they had a question around the 15%. I can follow up with that that question, um, but uh, just to make sure that it, that it's aligned with those who actually would be um, helping to facilitate those apprenticeships. So, council member, that 15% standard is the state standard. And in our discussions with labor when we were originally crafting this, they were supportive of that. But however you would like to have that conversation. Sounds good. But overall, I'm, I'm happy to move this to consent and can follow up with any final questions. Just want to make sure that we do that, that final engagement with those who would be uh, partners in, in uh, implementing this. Councilmember Salahoudi. Yeah, I just want to echo um, what uh, Council President Kritzer mentioned. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of um, support for moving this forward um, from labor unions and labor representatives. And uh, my question does tie into what um, Council Vice President Forsyth was bringing up on that uh, million-dollar threshold. And um, just, you know, understanding how we got to that number, not saying you know, pro or against that number, but just what is that um, value? What does that mean? Could it be 999,000? Is there a, um, you know, a specificity to that? And then um, is there a gauge of what uh, neighboring cities, Bellevue, um, Kent, or other cities that have um, passed this, uh, what value they're at um, in terms of implementation? Uh, yeah, council member, all the other cities have the same thresholds that we do. And in the enabling legislation that was passed by the state, as I mentioned, it originally had the $2 million threshold with a sliding scale down to a million after uh, a couple years. So uh, the other cities uh, have adopted that as well. So we're all uniform across, across the Puget Sound region for right now. Yep. Council Member Nueva Camina. Thank you. Director Burke, um, with the, the threshold, because we've got questions about money. Um, with the, the question around the threshold, is there baked into it any allowance uh, for inflation, cost of goods, uh, competitive bidding, so that we're not seeing unexpected costs later on that would cause that, that threshold of a million dollars or whatever it, it ends up being to be um, obsolete and then needing to make an amendment sooner than we expected? No, the $1 million acts as a, uh, basically as a floor um, for any of the contracts. Um, so the provisions of the uh, ordinance do not kick in unless the project is over a $1 million, you know, fully loaded. So um, uh, on the construction aspect, the contingency and, and sales tax and other components. So. I don't see us needing uh, any additional language on that. Um, most of our projects will not come in at exactly $1 million or 999000 um, So I'm pretty positive that when this provision will kick in, we won't have any issues like that. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So, Director Burt, I'm, because um, I need to move us along for time, I'm wondering, is this something, is there a timeliness to this that we need it this month, or could we take another round at it with the council members who might have additional follow-up for you? It's up to you, Council Member Stewart. Um, we are heading into our construction season, so um, the longer that we delay to get the provisions in place, begin to change our standard contracts that has this language there could be an impact on that but however you want to 
pursue okay. this. So now I'll turn to the question. I do see your hand, Councilmember Forsyth. Um, do you have an objection to this item going to consent and having a chance to continue to ask some questions in the interim? I do not have an objection to that. I had one bit just quick follow-up from a question that didn't get answered earlier. Sure. Could I, okay. Could I ask you to take it offline? I think it's very pertinent to the conversation right now. Okay. Um, great. Councilmember Forsyth, go ahead. You may not get an answer okay. in this moment just for time. Uh, just for clarity, Director Burt, um, I'm seeing on uh, Article 6 that the City Council would approve if there is a waiver to be placed by a construction company. The City Council would have to approve that. Is that correct? And it sounds like you might need to follow up with me on that. I will. I don't have the uh, ordinance up in front of me, but I can uh, take a look at that and respond back to the council as a whole. That would be great. And yeah, I, I want to keep us moving forward on this. I think it's important to get this in place before the construction season. So that my vote would be let's keep it moving and we can pull and talk about it if we need to. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Council Vice President uh, Forsyth. Um, are there any council members who object to this item going to consent then? Okay. If you've got questions, have those conversations in the interim. I appreciate that, team. Uh, Director Burt, I'm going to give you a break, and this body is going to go back to item number one on our agenda. Um, and I do want to acknowledge uh, Madam Mayor Bernie has, has been patiently waiting in the wings. Thank you so much. Uh, Director Burt, we'll see you in just a couple minutes. Um, item number one on our agenda today is the appointment of the board members to Cascade Water Alliance. Uh, Mayor Bernie, welcome. Yes, thank you so much for... Uh delaying my time up here. I appreciate it. <clears throat> um, so um, I uh, have put forward appointments to the Cascade Water Alliance along with other appointments. Um, so for Cascade Water Alliance, I would stay the member and uh, council member Nueva Camina would be the alternate. Um, and I know there have been some questions on this, so I just want to share a little bit about the work I've done with Cascade and hope to continue to do. So since um, I've been part of the city of Redmond elected officials, I've been on Cascade Water Alliance. Initially, I was the alternate and then I I was moved to member um, probably a couple years into my term on council. Um, and since then, I've actually been part of the um, executive board of Cascade Water Alliance as well. I've been running the public affairs committee for the last probably six years, um, been the vice chair, um, as well as a, when I was first started was secretary treasurer. Um, been highly involved in all of Cascade Water Alliance. It's actually one of our number one priorities as a city to have clean drinking water down and in, into the future. Uh, Cascade Water Alliance, as, as you all should know, because you get monthly updates, um, is an integral part of our water supply. Um, we do negotiations with other entities to ensure we have water supply in the future. And right now we're at a critical point where we're doing negotiations with Tacoma and Seattle to figure out where we're going to get the rest of our water um, into the years to come and whether or not we need to develop lake taps. Um, part of this is um, pretty significant meetings during the day as well as um, into our regular cascade meetings. Um, I've been a part of those things, uh, integral member of all of the decision making with Cascade for the last many years. Um, really excited about the work. Um, it goes in part to my background of biology and water resource management, and then also into the work that I do as a city to ensure that our rates and our water work for everyone now and into the future. Um, 
these decisions that we're making are extremely important. It's important to have someone on there who's uh, very focused on ensuring clean water, ensuring supply, and making sure our ratepayers pay appropriate rates to ensure that clean water. Um, and that's why I would hope to continue on this as well. Great. So, Mayor Bernie, um, we have this uh, potentially slated for consent on uh, February 20th. Questions or comments from the council? Okay. Any objection to this item going to consent on the 20th? Wonderful. Thank you for being with us, Mayor Bernie. Thank you so much for your time. Okay. We are going to turn our attention back to item number nine on our agenda today, which is the budget increase for the Redmond Senior and Community Center of $3.7 million for a total project budget of $61,700,000. With us, uh, we have um, Public Works Director Aaron Burt, welcome back, and Eric Dawson. It's great to see you again. It's been a while. Thanks. Thank you, Council Member Stewart. Um, we're in our home stretch on the uh, Redmond Senior and Community Center. Uh, you can see the building taking shape behind us. Uh, I think some of you have been on a tour of the insides as well, and it's uh, once completed, it's going to be an absolutely fantastic statement piece uh, for the city of Redmond. With that, though, uh, we are here asking for an additional, uh, some additional budget uh, authorization and allocation, as this project uh, has progressed uh, in the challenging construction environment that we found ourselves in. Um, costs have increased. The project duration due to some uh, equipment delays and other issues that uh, impacts that we felt, uh, found during COVID has uh, driven up our, our final costs uh, to get this project to completion to include additional uh, consultant city staff time uh, that have been required to address these changes. As uh, we're all well aware of actually for this project because when it went out to bid and then came to fruition during construction, the challenging marketing uh, market conditions that we uh, found during the uh, initial couple years of COVID actually really did impact this project. Mostly from the fact of the increased cost of material, the uh, lack of uh, labor, and then also the uh, COVID supply disruptions that impacted many different community, uh, many different segments of the market. Um, further, uh, the impact on this and uh, asking for some additional funds is that when, because of the challenges that we knew we were going to face, uh, this project did go out to bid at 50% design. And sometimes when you put something out at 50% design and when it comes back at 100%, you're gonna have some changes uh, to the original design, which are gonna have some cumulative effects that you have to go back and change, which increases cross, uh, costs across the board. Um, when you get into construction, uh, any sort of complicated building, and we do have some complicated um, uh, aspects of this project, you deal with change orders. Uh, anytime you're looking at access, you go in, you put in an electrical system and somebody realizes, hey, actually we didn't put enough power outlets uh, to power outside events. That has additional costs uh, that, that drive this that we need to cover. We've been very prudent and focused on this project and looking to maintain the budget in a very reasonable and uh, controlled manner 
but we are at this point where we have commitments that we need to make in order to bring the project into uh, completion that we do need additional funds for. In the uh, budget, uh, excuse me, in the uh, council packet that was provided, we're looking for uh, additional funds in four main areas. One is adding $1.4 million to our contingency pot. That's basically to cover uh, increased change orders that we foresee coming, dealing uh, with the civil and structural issues of the building, mechanical and electrical, and then also finishes and hardware for the building. We do have to pay our contractor for delays. Uh, it's within our contract. The contractor overhead uh, dollars that are allocated to pay for their operations is about $7,500 a day. We have determined that uh, we're gonna have 133 added days to this contract. That dollar amount has been negotiated down uh, in agreement uh, as it relates to what were the delays actually that fell on our shoulders and what were the delays that fell on the contractor's shoulders. Additionally, uh, as these things happen, uh, we're not proud of this aspect, but uh, we did have an accounting error uh, on this project. Um, we were originally tracking uh, sales tax in the amount of $700,000, but uh, when we went through a reconciliation process uh, a few months ago, we realized that that $700,000 of sales tax was not carried over into our current project budget. Uh, so we need to pay the state, uh, so that costs us $700,000. And then also with the scheduling delay, we will have some increased costs, not only to the city for our city staff, but then also the various uh, prime and sub consultants uh, that we have on board. So that's a broad overview. I do have Eric with us and uh, we're happy to field any questions. If you wanna go into finite detail on how many new electrical plugs we've put in, or uh, how much the door hardware was to put in door plates uh, for automatic door opening. We're happy to go into that detail, but whatever questions uh, you may have, uh, we're here to answer them. Okay, thank you for being with us. Um, council members, who would like to kick us off? Council Member Fields, thank you. Well, you're welcome. I, I don't know about kicking off, but um, so I, I'm just, it, I, I'm not even sure there's a question here, uh, Director Burt. I think it's more of a comment. The, the schedule change was known for some time. Uh, I brought this um, issue of, I've never, I think my words were, I've never seen a project um, that has expanded in schedule that didn't expand in budget. Uh, in quite some time. And so I guess my disappointment here is that we didn't uh, address this uh, earlier so that uh, the council would have been not at the last minute making a 6% uh, budget decision. And uh, one of the things that I kept uh, trying to um, put on the table was where were our options? Did we have any scope options? Did we have anything uh, that we could have done uh, to trade uh, for budget? And, and my other question, I think you just answered was, uh, since our vendors have known about this schedule increase for quite a while, uh, when did they put their bids in and um, how much of it, the, the, 
I'm not going to go into the details of it, but I am concerned uh, that we didn't give ourselves time to address this and uh, be able to uh, parse out how much of this is in fact City of Redmond um, schedule extension causes and how much of it is something that was in the scope of work. So yes, I'm pontificating. No, I don't have a question. What I would like to say is that in the future, I, I would hope that uh, you would be more proactive uh, in when you know that there's a schedule change, that you then address the budget change and let council deal with it at that time. Thank you. Council President Kritzer. Uh, I would agree with my colleague that I think one of my, the biggest things that jumped out for me was that it seems like we probably saw these costs increased and the council wasn't informed of this sooner. And I would also request that in the future when we have a project this big, I mean, for a while, as Mr. Dawson knows, we were getting updates on this every single time. It was actually at the, at the Parks and Sustainability Committee at the time, but um, it was probably almost two years we were hearing about it every single month and as this has been been built it, it would have been great to be able to know especially after we had the delays you know what we were anticipating so that we could be looped in as leadership on these decisions um you know as it is obviously we're all really excited for this project want to see it done um and are just so excited to be able to to cut the ribbon on it later this year so um and and we're kind of in it now one question i have about the contingency because i remember last time we when we raised the budget, we looked at the contingency as that flex. Um, and now we're looking to raise the contingency more um, specifically to be able to look at, at some, some increases. I'm wondering why we put that in contingency versus line items of the, the budget items that, that they're related to. Because um, it seems to me like contingency should be that buffer for us rather than specific types of costs. It's... It, Part of it is just what we're calling it, and it's just a you know it's a language jargon type of thing. So I, some of the most of these changes that you're seeing are things that we have been tracking. We've we've seen them coming along on the project. Um, we're starting to develop uh, fixes, design changes for these, and so it's not something that's unknown to us, like you would typically think of a contingency. But as we we have a single line item contract with this contractor. It's essentially about 44 million to build this building. So there's less of an opportunity to put it into line items that you might see on a lot of our other public work contracts where we have a line for paving and we have a line for, you know, for sidewalk where we can incorporate that in. So really change orders is our only way to add to the contract. And so for um, consistency with how we've talked to you about this before, we're calling them contingencies today, but really it's, it's change orders. Thanks for that detail. Um, one other question, then I'll open it up to others. Uh, I do have another one after that. But um, one is just uh, on the um, project information sheet. The sheet that we got, I think, most was related to, uh, was last updated when we did the $10 million update. It doesn't include this information, so it would be helpful. In particular, some of the funding sources aren't included there, like the state funding we got and some other philanthropic funding, I believe, isn't in there. So it would be helpful, and in particular, for this $3.7 million, um, I would like to see before we make the decision just how we're planning to fund it, what are the, the sources. Yeah, so the, uh, I'm sorry, I, I failed to mention that in my opening comments. Uh, the 
what we're proposing is $3.7 million from REIT fund balance on this uh, uh, as the funding source. And that's been validated and verified by finance that those dollars are uh, available for this. Great. If you can provide that in writing um, and just give us the updated project sheet um, before we would make a decision on that, that would be my request. Thank you. Council uh, Vice President Forsyth and then Councilmember Anderson. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'll just uh, agree with my fellow council members that spoke before me about timeline and uh, us seeing this. Uh, thank you for the clarification on REIT. I was looking at the memo and I wasn't quite clear on that. Um, I guess I'll just, since everything has pretty much been said, I'll just add uh, my own two cents that, boy, am I really glad we pushed to get that councilmanic bond to go out early. Um, I think the amount of money that we saved from the APRs going up is probably in the ballpark of 3.7 million. So um, good on us for pushing so hard on that and trying to be responsible with our dollars and that councilmanic bonding when we did it. Uh, really excited to get this project open. Um, understand that these these things happen and these changes need to happen for us to get across the finish line. But I guess just more communication earlier in the process. I understand GCCM. I know how that that sometimes this is just how it goes. But yeah, just keeping us in the loop earlier is uh, is great. Thanks. Thank you, Councilmember Anderson. Thank you. I've got a couple questions for you. I appreciate uh, the conversation as well. These are a little bit more detailed questions as per usual. Uh, the first one is: Are we sure it's a, ma a materials availability? question versus the work just taking longer, given that we've broken down the phases to expedite the process. Just wanted to clarify that. It, it has been aspects of material. Uh, you know, for example, one of the biggest issues we faced was getting our electrical switch gear. And this goes back uh, to the issues about why wasn't this information brought forward further? And I, I appreciate the statements from the council members on that. but. We had made some original assumptions on when that equipment would arrive. Uh, as we built the schedule around when that equipment would arrive, uh, it kept slipping. We were working with the suppliers, and it, it ended up putting us into a position where we had to renegotiate some aspects of that equipment or looking at alternatives, uh, could we get the equipment elsewhere? So that kept us from coming back and saying, here's a revised schedule these are going to be the revised costs until we've had it and we had an opportunity to work through some of those components. So for the most part, it has been uh, the aspects of the, the materials and getting our hands on and it. And then basically reorganizing when the work would get done. We have to okay. shift the schedule yeah. based on okay. so much is predicated on phasing in critical systems. Right. Yeah. Um, great. So that was, just, that was based on the, the phasing was supposed to help us get through more of that faster and then the contingent, um, we couldn't predict when we would get the stuff. Exactly. Okay, uh, thank you. And then could you remind me or um, even a check back with this, um, did our initial contract contain provisions for cost of delay not to be borne by the city? You got that? It depends on the delay. And so in the case of material procurement for something that we have we have specified, uh, if, it, if that is delayed further than what was anticipated at the time of the contract, then that is our responsibility. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so something we wanted, but we couldn't get until later. Yeah, if the contractor said, you know, I'm gonna get it 
on day one and I'm gonna have it installed by day 30 and it act, they get it on day one and it takes 60 days, those, that cost is theirs. But if, hey, what you asked for isn't available on day one, it's not available until day 30, then we bear that cost. Right, um, great, thanks. Uh, and then number three of four, so one more after this, um, will additional money get this project done sooner? No. We're, we're on a glide path uh, for substantial completion uh, next month or early in April with opening in May. Okay, so this is like a closeout adjustment that you need to do the work. Perfect. Um, and then lastly, this is our, just for, especially for the new council members, is this our first GCCM project? And are we doing a, a documentation of collection of lessons learned? Absolutely. Okay, fantastic. Um, did the phasing help us or no? I guess that would be my, my big question. We'll look forward to having that uh, conversation once we close it out and do the after action review. Okay, thank you so much. Other council members for the first round? I see council member Kritzer is gonna start off the second round, but council member Nueva Camina. Thank you. Um, thank you, council member. Anderson, around the, the clarification of, for us, if this is a first and if we're taking notes, um, what I understand about a lot of things in life, it is what it is, and it ain't what it ain't, and there, it, it is what it is at this point. Um, the thing that I, I had heard that we may be able to, to change moving forward easily is with the accounting error that was $700,000. Have we identified what it was, and have we put something in place to make sure that it doesn't happen again? Yes, it was a transcription error. That, that's all that's it was. There was okay. an original project budget that was held in finance, and when we developed the project budget controlled by the project manager, it was just something that didn't get transferred over until we went back and did a project reconciliation, which is a part of our process that we do, especially on a project this big, and the error was found. Thank you. Yep. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and hop in with my um, comments uh, and a, a question for Director Cochran if she's available. Um, I echo the sentiment of my colleagues. I understand that things get more expensive. I don't understand the breakdowns in communication. Council hasn't discussed this project for a long time. Um, and in fact, last we heard, it was just great. <laughs> things were going great. Um, so it's, it's, it's an unfair surprise. Um, We've said that the, the additional 3.7 million would be uh, fulfilled with REIT funds. Uh, Director Burt, you said you're, it's been verified that it's there, um, but council actually hasn't had an opportunity to hear about the health of the REIT funds. And there is an opportunity cost there when we use 3.7 of those dollars to finish this project, it won't be available for the next project. So Director Cochran, I wonder if you could just share with us a little bit about um, the state of those, those funds more broadly. I'm happy to. Um, the 3.7 million is coming from um, the REIT fund balance. It is funds that were collected at the end of 2022. We had a few months that were um, much higher um, in activity than expected. And so those are sitting unallocated in um, the REIT fund. The REIT fund itself in um, 2023 um, slowed down a, a bit. Um, during um, the fall, we saw a little bit of a jump and it did um, end the year a little bit weaker than normal. I did receive REIT um, information for um, the month of January 
it is um, the highest amount that we have um, received. It is not a huge amount. It's $450,000, but it is much higher than um, normal. The fund itself is healthy. Um, we are, um, you know, anticipating um, that it meets its targets. Uh, no, no concerns from me. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, council member Kritzer. Well, I will say other council members asked, asked uh, my question, um, but follow up, I will, since I'm called on, on the REIT funds, I would love to have a little bit more information of the exact dollar amounts that, that are available in our REIT funds so that we know um, what percentage we're, we're planning to use for this project. Um, thanks. Right now, um, in the fleet fund, we have, um, and I'll double check the figures for you, but it's over um, 23 million, um, and part of it we are holding um, for the MOC project. Um, the majority of it will go there. Um, so we're good. Councilmember Salahuddin. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, again, I, it's already been said. Just want to express um, what the rest of the council has mentioned. And I know you mentioned in the beginning of the meet, uh, of this uh, agenda item that uh, you could break down sort of those contingencies, what's going in. I mean, where each of those hand wave door openers are. If you do have that broken out, um, I'd love to see that and just uh, not necessarily that item, but just uh, what's going into these contingencies. Yeah, absolutely. We can uh, provide that to Thank the council. You. Mr. Dawson, did you have something to add? Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Mr. Fields. Thanks. Yeah, just to um, sort of underscore, or amplify this um, impact on the REIT fund. I, I appreciate all the information that we were just giving, both by Director Burt and Director Cochran. Uh, when you're uh, doing this analysis and you provide and you're bringing back a summary for the council. I think it would be helpful and fair um, to see which projects uh, are potentially impacted by the using of these funds. Um, I, I hear what you're saying that it's unallocated, but we do in fact do six year uh, CIP plans. Uh, and I know that the MOC is a really huge, huge, gigantic issue, maybe even bigger than the senior center. Um, in its import and its size and its urgency. So uh, I would really like to know not just uh, the numbers and the spreadsheets, but what uh, the analysis tells us uh, may be the uh, programmatic or project impacts of the $3.7 million uh, not being available for what we'd hoped it would be available for. We will be able to share that information with you um, in June. When we go over the CIPs, we'll share with you the projects that um, were proposed but didn't move funding uh, move forward. And we'll be able to explain if it's due to funding or um, capacity or other issues. Happy to Thank share. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Are there other questions from the council? Okay, we are over time, but just by a smidge, all things considered, what I'm going to actually do is request that this item be put on new business. I think that there um, is important information on the REIT fund balance for us to physically see in our inboxes. Um, I'm getting a thumbs up from Council for Force. 
Council Member Forsyth, Council Vice President Forsyth, and some head nods around the room. So I think we'll put this on new business for the 20th. Um, that way we can have one last conversation and, and chance to, to weigh in. Um, obviously, I will just add my personal support and enthusiasm. We are opening this thing in 90 days. And Eric, there's nobody's hand I want to shake more than yours on that day. <laughs> um, so um, again, it's, it's going to be a wonderful thing. Um, but we just need to do our, our diligence on this piece. Okay. Um, for the good of the order, some of the council is going to be in Olympia the next couple of days for AWC days. If you are planning to um, come and thank the public works team, we've got lunch tomorrow out at the MOC starting at 1130 uh, for those who are planning to join me in doing that. And uh, Build your own nacho bar. If that doesn't entice you. Who doesn't like nachos? Don't know what you'll be eating in Olympia, but the rest of us will be having nachos. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, and with that, we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody.